Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental Dan Lust with my guy, Mike Kravchenko. Let's go, Mike. <laughs> you know, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm excited to see what we got today on the on the podcast. We uh we're back again. We'll try to keep this one uh our conversation fairly tight. Um this past week we had a very well attended um breaking into sports law career series. That's our partnership that we do with Teamwork Online. Uh, so this week we had uh, Sam Strands. He's the Associate General Counsel of the Houston Rockets. And Zaid Shakir, uh, a listener of Conduct Detrimental, who's also the Associate General Counsel of the Golden State Warriors. So we've been um, grabbing people from the sports world to asking people about their career path. So we've done a couple of these. We put the audio on the, on the podcast. Um, and uh, I was just thinking, I'm like, you know what? My guy, Zaid, I've been talking to Zaid since, uh, you know, like 2019. He's made his move from private practice all the way to, um, you know, the Golden State Warriors front office. So uh, he was fantastic. I said, Zaid, do you want to do the solo or do you have any buddies you want to bring with you? So he goes, you should meet my guy, Sam. He's a really good interview. He's got a, uh, a similar path. He's got a lot of tactics. He's really passionate about this. I'm like, the more the merrier. So Stephanie and myself, we grabbed uh, Zaid. And Sam, which uh, I think we get better and better at this every week, but or every month. But yeah, that was our um, October breaking into sports law series with Zayd and Sam. So we're gonna put the audio on here afterwards. But you know, we we like to like dive into it, a little bit of a like palate cleanser, a little bit of an appetizer. Um, but Mike, uh, I I think it's, it's important while we have you. Um, one L year, right? We have a couple people listen to this as as college kids. I've even got some emails from like high schoolers that want to understand like this intersection between sports and law. Um, is one L is the hype of one L real? Is it as hard as you, as it was cracked up to be when you first started? Like, I, I mean, like I've been consistent with this. I think it really depends on what school you're attending because for me and how the program is on Sundays, now I'm working full time and going on Sundays. So I'm just taking right now contracts, legal process, um, torts and intro to legal analysis so it's really not a crazy workload now I take it obviously it's all in one day but throughout the week uh, it's manageable now if I was going full-time I think I could 100% see it being cracked up to what it was because <laughs> getting used to I think the reading load is very is very difficult but like for me um there it's so spread out for me that i think it's it's helped me maintain a constant and a consistent workflow um i don't like school full-time just in general um i'm not a school person however um i do love and i want to become you know i want to get involved in the legal space and sports so uh that's you know my passion and why i'm going to law school so if it's i think it's doable if you're passionate about it but you have other things going on um I think you, you know, you get absorbed in that one L trying to figure out law school and don't have other things. I don't know. Yeah. Um, people get kind of lost in law school and I'll, I'll kind of tell you, uh, I'm a, I'm 10 years out of law school this year. Um, and if you hear anything, any noise in the background, I have a, a pesky four year old that does not <laughs> want to go to sleep. Um, we were watching the New York Liberty game four of the WNBA finals. Um, let's go is right. I've had a big season long future on the Liberty the whole year. And then, uh, Dylan hit me uh, a couple minutes into the first quarter and she says, dad, this is really boring. So we're watching, 
watching one of the legacy of Airbud movies. Let's just say it's a talking dog movie on Netflix. Anyone can figure it out. I'll be very impressed. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I obviously, you know, I teach and I speak to a lot of students. One L year is tough. Two L year and three L year are very similar to college. You pick your class and whatnot. One L year is very taxing. Um, so, you know, um, I don't, I don't fault anybody. Just remember, and, I, and I've been speaking to a couple one L's, some that listen to the show, some that are referred by other people, but, um, you know, the bottom line, uh, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Don't lose sight of the person that you were for your, you know, 22 years of education prior to that point. Uh, you know, you got here for a reason. Don't let people psych you out with outlining and highlighting your outlining. It's like, Nobody was outlining in college. So like, it's not, you don't really need to be like a chief outliner officer to like do well in law school. But you know, it's a real thing that people get psyched out on. So um, just do your thing, Mike. Uh, you're a smart dude. Uh, and I, we appreciate all the time that somehow miraculously you carve out between working full time uh, <laughs> to being a student. Uh, and then uh, we love having you in the podcast. You've been a fantastic addition. Um, now, Mike, this might surprise you. When you get into the actual workforce, there is not as much nightly reading. Does anybody tell you that? Um, no, I am not surprised in any way. My professors have been very real about the actual profession rather than school. So it's like I'm, I'm at least glad well, to hear that. Well, I'm not going to – and don't tell me any names of professors. I might know them. Um I, I sense, even as I'm dealing with, I deal with two L's and three L's and I deal with first year lawyers and, you know, people through my firm and, and our, and our practice, our sports practice, like there's as a first, we'll say like, as a like very brand new baby lawyer, like you're doing a lot of research, a lot of like document review, like, you know, it, it depends on the firm you're at. Like I was going to, uh, I've told the story on the, on the podcast, but like, uh, I, a lot of my friends at big law firms were doing that, like really like academic type exercise. They're making a lot of money, but they're just doing like research assignments and document reviews and like holding someone's briefcase during a deposition, which like, I don't know, didn't sound so enticing. The money probably was good, but um, I took a job. This guy was like, listen, you want to be a litigator? I'll get you in court uh, like at, at least twice a day, sometimes three, but like probably 10 times a week you'll be in court. And I'm like, that sounds pretty good. Is how is that possible? How how can someone do that many court appearances? He's like, just trust me, it's gonna be great. Um, I send you to courts all across New York State. So, uh, Mike, that's when I found out after I accepted that job what a traffic lawyer was. So, <laughs> I'd go up and down New York State. I do traffic court. I do uh, landlord tenant court. I do family law. I do divorce court. We do criminal appearances. I did you know status conferences, but for about two years I was just like do it a little bit of everything. So I bring this up to you here, you Mike developing these skills, balancing a couple different things. Like that's the real education that comes with being an attorney, being like a hustler, a networker, a marketer. Like, yeah, anybody can sit in a back office and do some research, but you know, once you get older in your practice, you become a 50 or 60 or 10th year trying to make partner, all that stuff. You need to have, uh, and not to say I have, I'm still learning things every step of the way, but being a lawyer is a lot more of the relationship side than, than anybody teaches you in law school. So there's relationships you're making in, in, uh, you know, in school right now, those could be sources of business. Those could be colleagues. Those could be anything, but this could be the guy that refers you to the next job. Um, you know, you got to pay attention to that stuff, but yeah, I don't think enough hype is made of that. 
No, absolutely. That's the big thing being in, I mean, the first day or first week formed a study group. And especially for us, because we only meet on Sundays, we want to make sure we meet, I meet weekly with four or five other guys um, in my classes, um, being in group chats, you know, similar to the one we have on um, GroupMe, just being in, being involved as much as you can, making those relationships. Um, that's helped me. I think that's why for my 1L year, it's been so, or it's felt comfortable because I have more of that support, not alone. And then obviously... I have the Conduct Detrimental podcast that I've continued to listen to for the last, uh, I don't know how many years now, four or five <laughs> Include, Including the ones that you're on. Uh, good <laughs> stuff. Hey, I'm going to give some unsolicited advice to uh, our world of listeners. And we have a lot of new listeners. I get, you know, I hear from a lot of people. Um, there is a circuit which wanted, it's the reason I initially wanted to become a litigator. I do kind of more transactional work now. Um, but there are sports law competitions around the country. Yes, you heard that correctly. Sports law competitions. Um, I'm going to choose my words wisely, and I'm not talking about any school in particular. I'm not talking about the school that I work at. Um, but these sports law competitions are, there's some at Villanova. There's, I, I host one at, um, at our school. I host a soccer law competition. If you want to be involved in it, you want to send a team to compete, I'm happy to give you details. We're going to send the flyer out in a little bit. I created a basketball competition at Fordham. There's a ton of these competitions. The problem is, Mike, which hopefully your school doesn't have this issue, in order to compete in some schools' competitions, you have to be a member of, like, the Dispute Resolution Society or Moot Court or Trial Ad. And those societies operate very differently than the sports law societies at schools. So this might be unpopular. I'm going to say it. Um I don't know why someone that's on a moot court team or a mock trial team or a dispute resolution team, why those individuals would be more qualified to compete in a sports law competition than the individuals that have pledged themselves to be members of the sports law society. Now, um, what I've seen in practice is like in the event of a tie, jurisdiction goes to like one of those kind of formal groups. Um, I don't think that should be the case. I know our society doesn't, you know, our soccer competition doesn't discriminate. If you're just, if you're a student at a school and you want to compete, sounds good. We're not checking credentials. If you're in the sports law society, you're with DRT or DRS or moot court or mock trial. So, um, if you want to learn more about sports law competitions, I'm sure we could dedicate a whole podcast to it. Um, that it's the coolest thing in law school. It's as cool as it sounds. And it's kind of a bummer that some school societies are exercising jurisdiction over what should be uh, open to anyone. And I'm not just saying open to sports law society kids. Anyone that wants to pay and compete in a sports law competition, assuming there's room, like, I don't know, the more the merrier. This is a hard enough field to get into. We need to get the kids enough experience and as much stuff on the resume as possible. So uh, I'm, I, I don't know how, it's probably not affecting that many people, but we'll say free. Free the sports law kids. Let them do. Let the kids play. Let the kids play. Now, there's a handful of people that know what I'm talking about, but this issue, a student reached out to me today um, from a different school, and, I, and I'm like laughing. I'm like, every year without fail, this comes up. But this guy was reaching out pretty early in October. Uh, he's reaching out about the Tulane baseball salary arbitration competition, which is like as cool as it freaking sounds, and he's not allowed to go. And I'm like. Uh, if only if only the school understood if only they understood 
That's why I appreciate you so much, giving everyone the platform here, building to the resume, no matter what area it is. I mean, come on now. <laughs> That's why you got to pump up conduct in that oh, in our, in our own love NIL it. writing competition. I love it. Um, okay. You want to write? Do NIL writing competition, I have the – I've actually pinned it to my LinkedIn. So people people were asking me where to find the details. That's where to find it. Um I guess it's probably on Instagram too. Okay, that said, uh, enough of an intro here. Again, um, the purpose of this episode, we want to introduce you to uh, our panel. We did about 45 minutes, maybe a little bit longer with those guys. Um, maybe it's closer to an hour, but they were freaking fantastic. Um, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one from each of these guys that I, I just if you if you didn't skip over this audio, you shouldn't. Mike and I are going to come in the back end and give you our betting picks. I'm three and zero in the last three weeks, so. Riding a little hot. Oh, and two. Zade is going to tell you a story. I want you to listen to this. Yeah, we're not talking about your track record, Mike. It's not the greatest. <laughs> um, but Zade tells a story, and it's the second guest in a row that's done this. And I've literally never heard of people doing this until these last two panels. Taking a list of top 10 contacts in the field, top 10 people that you want to work for, that you think realistically you could get a job with, putting them in some sort of an Excel sheet, or here Zade did a note in his notes app. And he would just find ways to ping these people. Um, and uh, I'm just so impressed that, that that's how he, he kind of turned it into a little bit of a game. And let's look where Zayd ended up with the Golden State Warriors. And then he listened to Sam, who I had never met before this panel. I hadn't spoken to him. And I was so blown away. He is like a professional interviewer. And you're going to love this, Mike. And I, I, if only people could see your face with what I'm about to tell you. He ends every interview that he's done in his entire life with a handwritten note. Not like people are like, oh, send a thank you note the same day. Don't make it personal to the author. This guy just doesn't do that. He sends a handwritten note to every interview he's ever had in his life. That's how this man got to the Houston Rockets office. So we give you really interesting people. Um, and next, uh, next time we do this, we're going to have, uh, I won't spoil it, but we're going to have two general counsels, I believe, from the National Hockey League. And that's a position that, I don't know, that would be pretty cool if I got to at some point, a general counsel of a team. So we try to make these for young law students, laterals. Um, it's going to be something in here for everyone. And, and uh, both Zade and Sam did not start in the in the in, in NBA legal counsel. They both were at law firms. They both found a way to lateral. So this should be applicable to everyone that listens to this podcast. So I really I want you guys to check it out. We had someone that sent the, a really kind note about the one we had with Adam Newman. Hey, I was going to fast forward it. I decided to listen to it, and I picked up two or three things that I wrote down, um, you know, in, in whatever notes or whatever they did. So um, there's a, some really valuable stuff in here. We're going to do these once a month. We'll put the audio here. Big shout-out to Teamwork for setting it up. Davis Filippelli. Um, I think it's Filippel. I just I always read that it's Filippelli, but he's been, a, he's been a really huge help over at Teamwork. So we had 500 sign-ups for this, and um, – we actually probably had more than 500. We maxed out at 500. So a lot of people were emailing me that they got locked out. Um, so I said, I made it a point of teamwork. I want to put the whole audio on our podcast. So uh, that's why we're putting it here. Um, Mike, we'll, we'll do our takeaways on the back end. Um, but I think it's about time to go to the episode, right? I feel like we're good here. I'm ready for it. Okay, let's do it. Zaid Shakir, Sam Strands, friend them both on LinkedIn Add a note that you listen to them on the Conduct Detrimental podcast and tell them that Dan sent you. Okay, with that said, we will head over to the audio from the October 12th Raking Into Sports Law panel. Dan, Stephanie, welcome and welcome to everyone who is here. We're very excited 
for this conversation. Um, my name is Davis Filipel. I'm the president of Teamwork Online. We connect talent with careers in sports and entertainment, and we are thrilled to have this discussion together. We pride ourselves as an organization on being both a source for jobs and also a resource. So um, thank you for joining us for the second installment of our Breaking Into Sports Law speaker series with our good friends at Conduct Detrimental. So uh, without further ado, um, this is going to be a great conversation. We've got a terrific panel here. Um, as Dan mentioned, if you're in a spot to do so, please we encourage you to have your camera on. Uh, this is a, a open conversation. And so um, enjoy seeing the folks we're speaking with. Use the chat, introduce yourself, connect with the other folks who are who are here in the discussion and um, stay until the end. We've got good news coming up. So with that, um, pleased to introduce Dan Lust uh, from Conduct Detrimental. Hello and welcome everyone to our second installment of the Breaking Into Sports Law speaker series. We do this once a month. So I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces that were here last time. Stephanie and I did uh, two prior to the teamwork era. So uh, if you're looking for those uh, audio files, certainly feel free to reach out to us afterwards. Uh, again, some general housekeeping matters. Davis mentioned it. You are certainly free to connect with any of the speakers, myself included, on LinkedIn. But I would also implore you to connect with your fellow uh, attendees. If you guys found yourself here, you are similarly like-minded in your pursuit of sports and sports law jobs. Uh, and sometimes you'd be surprised at the connecting with your colleagues, your peers, that could be very helpful. Okay, so that said, you guys have seen our guests for today. They are here. We have Sam Strands, Associate General Counsel over at the Houston Rockets. We have Zaid Sakir, formerly Associate General Counsel of the Golden State Warriors, a new promotion as of like five minutes ago. Um, you can certainly talk about that. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, Zaid and Sam's uh, career path, uh, maybe some big questions you guys have trying to break into the space. Um, but uh, yeah, Stephanie and I will kind of Moderate, and we'll pose questions uh, as, as appropriate to Zaid and Sam. Steph, do you have a few words before we jump in? Yeah, I just want to say thanks for joining again. Last uh, session that we had went really well, and we're looking forward to continuing the series and very excited to have two people from the NBA on. So I guess let's let's get into it. Dan, what do you think? Oh, good. Um, so uh, what's funny is we have we we get the numbers. We had 500 people sign up. And you guys are the lucky 122 that actually accepted that invitation and showed up. So this is a very exclusive invite. Um, we're going to put the recording up, but coming live and being the first to register, uh, you guys get to ask questions. You guys get to have that uh, in-person feel. Um, okay. So that said, uh, we picked Sam and Zaid for a very particular reason. Both are individuals who graduated the law school with the last within the last 10 years, both worked at a law firm, and I'm sensing both are lifelong basketball fans. Uh, Sam, the sweatshirt is a dead giveaway, and Zaid, I know a little bit about your background uh, independently. So um, Sam, let's start with you. Uh, we'll try to keep this, um, this part fairly brief, but this will kind of set the tone for the conversation. Can you tell us in, I don't know, um, just an executive summary, how you got from the University of Tennessee Law School to the Houston Rockets Legal Department? And then if there's any anything before for that, that I'm that I'm missing that's relevant uh, to your path. Sure thing. Thanks, everybody. Um, Dan, Stephanie, Davos, we appreciate the, the invite. I appreciate Conda Detrimental and Teamwork for hosting this. This is awesome. So this is this is something that I would have loved to attend when I was you know before in the position. So um, appreciate everyone joining. So I'll give the the quick pitch. Obviously, Zay did not text me and tell me he's going with dapper jacket. Um, I went with Nike sweatshirt. But that's a testament to what we can dress like in the NBA. To be honest with you, like any sort of team merch becomes part of your day-to-day, -day, which is re always really nice. 
Uh, my background is the second I realized I wasn't going to be able to play NBA basketball, which was at a relatively young age. Um, I'm, I'm not a tall man. I can't shoot that well. Um, so it was very apparent that I wasn't going to be able to play basketball. So the question then became, how do you get there? You know, how do you find your way into the, to the industry? Um, I went to undergrad, was an econ major, decided to go to law school and then realized, well, there's there's a path there. You know, um, there's a sports law path and you can either work for a team, you can work for a league, you can be an agent. There's a lot of different options, as I'm sure everyone knows on this call. Um, so Tennessee, I was chair of the Sports and Entertainment Law Society and really tried to get involved um, in that process. But inevitably, you know, you start studying, you try to do well, you get those law firm offers and all those sorts of processes. So I figured I would go to a law firm, cut my teeth there, focus in on the transactional piece, because that's predominantly what you're going to be doing in, in this industry. And then um, hopefully become hireable to an in-house company, ideally in basketball for me. Um, in the law firm, I was networking, reaching out to people, including Zaid. I actually had talked to Zaid before in this position. He was generous enough to volunteer his time. Um, you'll find a lot of that in this industry. There's a huge pay it forward mentality, which is amazing. Uh, and and so then um, when our COVID happened, and obviously no one was hiring in sports, if anything, they were going the other way and were downsizing. Uh, so I realized I had to make a pivot because I didn't want to become a law firm partner. So I went in-house at Sling TV um, out in Denver, which is a subsidiary of Dish Network. And so I was doing the sports marketing, sports media deals. And I was like, I'll get some experience there. And maybe if something happens, I can make the move to basketball. Um, in the meantime, reaching out to people, uh, I talked to my boss, Clay Allen, my now boss, um, reached out to him, sent him a cold email and said, hey, I'm Sam. I, I really would love to um, get your position in a non-threatening way. I'd love to do what you do. Um, and then had a chance to speak to him. And he said, hey, hey I'm posting a job. Um, if you have any interest, like at least we've talked now and I'll, your resume will pop off the pile. So I interviewed and the first time I've ever been to Houston, Texas was when I interviewed. And the second time was when my wife and I and our two dogs moved down here. Um, so excited to be here, excited to represent the Rockets and Toyota Center. And that's my executive summary. That was a very good executive summary. I'm taking some notes. Uh, we'll, we'll address all these later. Once upon a time, you were the sports law president, right? Cold email uh, to a boss threatening to take his job, which uh, was very aggressive, but obviously worked. And um, you did not want to be a partner at a law firm. So uh there's a lot of the same DNA that we've talked about in some of these prior calls. Um, okay, Zaid, same question, and then uh, I will turn it back over to Stephanie. Awesome. Thank you uh, again for having us. Uh, I would echo what Sam said about really wish wait, I had wait, something. Tell everybody your fancy title before we, we start. You have a very fancy title now. Um, the fancy title is Director Business and Legal Affairs, uh, which happened, of course, the same day that graphic went out. Um, with Associate General Counsel, which I, when when I figure out what that means, I'll, I'll definitely circle back and let you guys know, but um, it is a new title as of yesterday. Um, but I would, I would echo what Sam said about certainly wish, you know, conduct detrimental, teamwork online. Well, teamwork online was, was around um, when I was in law school, but um, it's now, you know, a staple in the sports law, sports business community and conduct detrimental. I tell Dan all the time, like, wish I had something like that while I was going through it. So thank you for having us. Um, like, uh, like Sam, uh, said, I grew up big sports fan. Uh, I actually was not, I knew from the beginning, I was not good at basketball. Um, soccer was, was the sport that I played and really just playing organized sports. And I'm sure many people who you talk to in the industry will say like organized sports was a staple of my, my childhood and, and growing up was how I made friends, how I spent time with family. Um, there was always something about sports that resonated with me. And I couldn't really put my finger on what it was exactly, but I knew it, it was going to be a part of my life. Um, 
in undergrad, I went to USC for undergrad and I um, at the time thought I was going to do pre-med. I was a biology major. I took the MCAT, thought I'm going to do sports medicine because it sounds really cool um, and it has sports. Then I realized like medical school involved blood and uh, shifted gears, um, started to reflect on what sort of career path aligned with uh, my skill set and my interest, but still had an opportunity to uh, be a part of the sports industry. Obviously, agent came to mind because that's generally the thing that comes to mind when you think sports law. Um, we've all seen or hopefully you've seen Jerry Maguire. Um, I started to just look into career paths that uh, interested me. And one I stumbled upon was my current boss's career path. Um, and I just saw like a lot of people at exec levels at sports teams had law degrees, even if they were not working in a legal capacity. Um, it was like a, a common theme amongst different roles that I resonated with. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll go to law school, get a legal degree and kind of figure out what I'm going to do with that. Um, went to Arizona State University, Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, um, and was really fortunate my first summer of law school to get uh, an internship with this basketball team uh, called the Golden State Warriors. And um, first week of my internship was the NBA Finals, um, and they had won the NBA Finals that year. So my first week was getting to you know work on things related to the championship parade, got to walk in the championship parade. And for someone who grew up in the Bay Area as a lifelong Warriors fan to then be working for the organization when they win a championship and get to walk with the employees, it's like the most special uh, moment one of the most special moments of my life, something I'll remember forever, um, sort of confirmed that this is something I wanted to be a part of uh, throughout my life. Um, so that was the first summer of law school. I then uh, interned with the Arizona Diamondbacks in their legal department um, and the Phoenix Suns uh, in their legal department. Went on uh, to work at a law firm after graduating uh, called Catamuch and Rosenman. Uh, it's you know, big, big law firm, they have offices everywhere. I was based in Chicago. Um, they have a sports and sports facility practice um, that's based there. Um, and I, I was, you know, a corporate mergers and acquisitions, private equity associate. So by training, I was doing M&A deals. Um, but that firm, because they had that sports practice, I had the really unique opportunity to get to work with um, sports clients. So I was doing these high-level, sophisticated deals, um, learning the industry, but from the big law perspective um, and getting to network with clients. Um, so I was there for a couple of years, worked on some really, really cool sports and non-sports deals, um, developed a, a skill set that uh, I thought would be translatable when, if an opportunity were to ever open up and got really lucky that we were working on a deal for the Warriors. Um, we just wrapped up the deal uh, I had heard from somebody that there was an opening um, at the Warriors and, and I you know, reached out and just got very lucky. Uh, to I went through the interview process and I feel very fortunate to be back here. Um, been two and a half years um, and it's been everything I could have hoped for and more and looking forward to continuing to grow and uh, hopefully be in this role for a long time. Okay, so certainly love to hear it. Uh, Zaid, Sam, you guys have a lot of commonalities in your path, which uh, hopefully we'll unpack a little bit in the next uh, you know, 45 minutes or so. The main one, uh, I think you guys took a step back. Obviously, uh, Sam, you're a 2015 law grad. Zaid, 
you took out the year from your LinkedIn, but I think you're a 2019 law grad. It was very sneaky, but we did some detective work. I think I yes. figured it out. Um, oh, confirmed, confirmed. Good, good math over here. Um, but uh, at a similar point in your career, you kind of looked up from the law firm exercise and you realized like, this isn't, this isn't exactly what I want to do. Um, and then similarly, right, you both took some cold email approach. You found uh, different people through networking tactics, different positions, and took those connections, leveraged them to get to your current roles. That said, uh, you guys have both referenced it. We, we haven't mentioned it already. If you guys are hearing this term, conduct detrimental, Steffi and I uh, are, we'll say, team members over at Conduct Detrimental. We host, a, we have a podcast, we have a website. We talk about all things the intersection of sports and law. Um, so you can certainly subscribe to our podcast afterwards. And if you missed any portions of this uh, conversation, we'll have the audio and teamwork will have uh, the video that they'll post. Um, so uh, that said, Steph, um, I know Sam and Zaid have given us a lot. I will let you take uh, the ball with the first question. Sam, Zaid, get ready. These are going to be some curveballs. Get ready for this. Nothing to be scared about. But I think we should probably start from the beginning just to give everyone kind of a full picture of exactly how you guys got to where you are and the tactics that you guys used in order to get there and kind of create your own luck. I know, Zaid, you said you got lucky, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, you don't just get lucky for no reason. You definitely created your own luck by taking opportunities and really cultivating relationships along the way. So first question, which I know that we always receive questions about, would be what are some of your go-to networking tactics that you've used, whether you know you started reaching out to sports professionals in college or law school, and then how did you really you know cultivate those relationships to turn them into more of a long-lasting relationship where you feel comfortable kind of going to them now in your respective roles and, you know, being able to bounce ideas off of each other and that type of thing. So whoever wants to take it first. Sam, no? All right. Um, Sam, I'm excited to hear Sam's answer because I think Sam, in my uh, experience of know knowing him, is is really good at this. And um, i uh curious to learn his techniques and to improve my own techniques. Um, I think you guys, you, you have said it, and it's a common theme of anybody you'll talk to in really any industry. Relationships are so, so, so important. And, you know, obviously grades are and being in the right place at the right time, but um, success in networking, success in uh, your internal career development growth all flows through relationship building. Um, and so, you know, I think... One of the things that was really helpful for me was identifying certain um, people in roles um, that I resonated with or that I thought I could be in um, down the road. And to steal Sam's phrase, like I, I saw my boss, my current boss's role, and I said, that's the role that I would like to have for a team uh, or a lead one day. And, you know, I, I developed a sort of network of mentors and resources um, that would, I thought would help me get to that role. And so I have this notes sheet in my phone. Everyone has different things that they do, but I sort of wrote down different people that I, um, that I identified as being key stakeholders in that career trajectory. And anytime I had met with them or interacted with them all from the perspective of not asking them for anything, because I think a lot of people will come in and um, and whether or not they're directly saying it or sort of positioning themselves to make an ask for something, I wanted to be cognizant and respectful of people's time. So 
there was never a ask from me about, can you do this for me? It was more, um, what can I do for you and how can I learn from you? Uh, and how can I add value to you? So in my notes sheet, I'd have an interaction with somebody. Uh, Dan is probably a person I would have in, uh, reached out to and said, you know, Dan, Dan Lust, we had this conversation. We talked about he worked at the Giants at some point. So in my notes sheet, I'd write something about the Giants. Um, I know he has children. If, I, if he mentioned something fun about his children, I'd write it in my notes sheet, two children. And I would I would constantly keep notes on these interactions because I would use it as a We've all been there. It's very difficult to like check in with somebody when you don't have a reason to check in with somebody. And so this notes sheet with like different conversation topics I've had with folks helped me have an easy touch point. Like if I saw the Giants got crushed, I might send a funny, uh, you know, little note to Dan said, sorry about that. Hope all is well. Uh, hope things are going better than the Giants season. Something like that. Uh it's a very easy way of having having a touch point. It keeps things friendly. I'm not asking Dan to do anything, but I'm building a, a meaningful relationship that goes beyond just um, I'm trying to get something out of you. You're going to have to make an ask of somebody at some point. You're going to need a champion, an advocate on your side at some point. And you want to make sure you keep those asks in your pocket for when you actually really need them. Um, and for me, it was like... I. I wanted to keep adding value, keep networking, keep developing relationships with people until I, until there was an ask I had to make. And hopefully at that point, it would be a no-brainer. Like, oh yeah, Zayd is this really nice guy, sends me a note on my birthday every year. Of course, I'll like recommend him to, to somebody else. And birthdays is another one. I always put people's birthdays in my calendar. Very easy way of checking in with somebody and just saying, happy birthday, hope you're well. Um, those are my like little tips and techniques. I'm very curious. I'm going to write some notes on Sam's techniques in my notes sheet and uh, turn it over to him. Hardly. I think like you're doing a lot of the same things that we all do. And I think those are, those are great tips. And Zade's obviously being, you know, um, very generous here, but he's doing all the right things as well. Um, I would just echo everything he said. And you'll probably hear a lot of that. Uh, I, I always like say there's like three, like if there's three fundamentals to basketball, dribble, pass and shoot, you need to do that to be a competent basketball player. Um, like there's three fundamentals to me to like think about these jobs and how to get them. And, to me, the first one, like the, the most important one was always to be the best lawyer or law student that you could be. Um, so you really want to focus on making the best grades that you can, whatever that means for you, um, you know, if you're in law school or then if you're out to be the best lawyer you can be, um, because ultimately none of this matters if you get hired, you can't do the job um, or, or, you know, people like kind of look at you and say like, well, you know, they've networked, but maybe they don't have the, the actual uh, ability to do the, the things that the team needs you to do. Um, so obviously with that focus on transactional and then to move to this topic, networking is number two. Um, and that's, I would like to highlight respectful networking. That's always like something that I, I really think about and very intentional about when I network and, and Zaid hit on many of these points, but that was to reach out with and more of an informational interview. When you do a reach out and, you know, simply say, Hey, look, I'd really like to hear more about what you're, what you do and hear more about your career. Um, because I'm interested in, in, you know, doing kind of what you do. Um, and never really asking for anything in return, understand that you're going to send 100 emails and you might get, you know, 10 in response. And that is not because the 90% didn't want to talk to you. That is often because they were buried under whatever they had going on and just didn't have a chance to get back. Um, but if you're diligent, um, make sure that you keep reaching out. You will end up with those, those talks with people. Um, on LinkedIn, this is like, I always say like um, a cold LinkedIn request is always kind of a tough beat because... I don't have any information on you at this point. Um, I always like to see that accompanied with a note to the extent that it can be. Say, hey, I'm I'm Dan, here's what I'm doing. I went to this law school or I'm doing this or that. 
because um, then it gives me a little insight into you. Uh, now it's an email is fine too. So that's always like kind of a granular technique. Um, and then the last of the three fundamentals I always say is the um, focus on specific industries in sports and entertainment. Because like there's often sports and entertainment, as we know, is like a giant umbrella. Um, and then within that is teams, um, there are leagues, there are agents, there are, I mean, even on down to the college ranks and all that sort of stuff. So you really want to figure out what you like, because honestly, like I'm, I love basketball. I'm originally from Memphis, which is you know, basketball's in the blood of the city. So it was one of those things where I could talk very passionately about that. Um, but if I went and talked about another sport I'm less passionate about, and I won't name any specific sports, but um, it, it would just come across as not endearing or maybe not just honest. Um, and I could learn everything there is to know about the sport and talk intelligently about it. So it's important for you to really figure out where you want to be. And then, you know, you should network very broadly, but really focus on those people that have that industry in the industry you want to be and those jobs. Um, and really target there. And then exactly like Zed said, keep a list. And mine was a also an iPhone note that might just be a millennial thing. Um, and then, you know, something familiar with them. And, and I would, I always say the check-in cadence for me was three, four months, you know, um, maybe every three times a year with a check-in, try to tie it to something like the giant example is good. Uh, but generally I could just check in and say, Hey man, like, how you been, Dan? Um, here, here's what I've been up to. You know, uh, I've been doing this, representing these clients at the firm. I'm doing all this cool work. Um, what have you been doing? And and just sort of stay connected because the first reach out's fine, but if you don't do the second reach out and the third reach out and really maintain that relationship, then you're just another sort of person in the email inbox or LinkedIn face. Um, so that's really going to that next level is what meaningful, respectful networking is. Okay, so you guys hit on a lot. Uh, you're making our job really easy as moderators because you guys as a pretty good analyst. I feel like uh, we've done this before at some point, but um, okay, a couple things. And I, just, just to recap, you would be going for about 20 minutes here. I think the two points that Zaid and, and Sam are hitting, um, really it's like, if you wanna get that job in sports, like, I don't know, the, well, I guess it's like one, two, maybe three, but we'll hit on the second. Number one, you have to really invest in networking, right? I have my notes app, that's site. I use it constantly. Um, I'm not sure the crossover between how many of you have attended our prior talks and this one, um, but we had a panelist last week or last month, Adam Newman, who's chief of staff with the Baltimore Ravens, who Stephanie and I have heard his story before. He had a, a top, I think he called it like a top 10 list, but he picked 10 people and he felt that those people had a really good career trajectory. And just like Sam and Zayd are saying, he, he would make it a point two, three times a year to either reach out to them, maybe see them in person, find excuses to see them. But you really do have to treat networking almost like, I don't like saying it like this, but it's kind of like gamifying what you're doing. If you just send cold emails, like those are miserable. Like you can't just send cold emails and hope people respond. You have to find fun, organic ways to reach out to people. So Zayden, Zayden and I have been speaking over social media for, I don't know, four, almost four years at this point. And I don't, Zayden and I have never met in person, but I feel like I know Zayd because these interactions we have, seemingly pretty organic. It's not like, you know, and, and Zaid has a much cooler job than I do. So it's not like this would happen. But if Zaid was emailing me every time, like, hey, Dan, looking for a job. How about a job? How about one of those jobbies? Do you have any jobs for me? Like, that would be pretty aggressive to Sam's point. And like, probably Zaid wouldn't be on this panel right now. But we've had really good interactions. And like, that's really how you do it. So, um, so number one is networking, right? Number two is the point that Sam said that I think, um, I, and I know some of you on the call are, are in college or in law school. Um, Sam did not walk into the Houston Rockets uh, legal legal office. He didn't do it. Neither did Zay. Both worked for legitimate law firms being real lawyers. And then they got the call, the call 
Um, I didn't really know this term when I was in law school or when I was in college, but it's a lateral hire. You develop real legal skills. And then shocker, right? The Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors don't want to hire someone with zero experience. They want to hire someone with some relevant experience. So just being like Mr. or Mrs. Sports and knowing everything about the sport and being a diehard and having season tickets, like that doesn't really make you qualified. Um, and I'm saying it not to like talk down to you because like, I legitimately was that person when I was in law school. I interviewed for like, you know, the UFC, the Indiana Pacers, all these jobs. And like my qualifications were like, I like basketball. I like UFC, like shocker, that's not going to get you hired. Um, so once you have one and two, then to the point that Zaid said, it's really this third factor. It's not really something you can control. It's just getting lucky um, and just being in the right place in the right time or being such a present thought in that person's mind that they think of you. So one of you in the chat that I that I know has been to all four of our previous talks just messaged me something that I'm 100% going to steal. And uh, I'll give you credit if you wanted it. But um, really getting into sports and a job in sports. Sports law is just the subsect that the four of us know about because we're all law degrees, but it's really a war of attrition. Like if you have like a three month sphere where you're really heavy on networking, like, and then you stop, like that's not really going to get it done, but it's really for years and years working on it. Um, and it really is a war of attrition. So I think that's important. Um, but Steph, I'll, I'll turn it to yeah. you. I know you, you embody a lot of those. Oh, Jade, go ahead. If I could just jump in because I think what you're saying uh, brought up a point that Sam mentioned that I think is, is a really important one. It's being really good at what you're currently doing. Uh, like, it's really about, you know, ha having the right opportunity open up. But until that opens up, I think a lot of people get in this habit of just looking at what's next, what's down the road. And they maybe it's at the cost of what they're currently working on. I would just emphasize what Sam said about be really, really good at what, whatever you're doing. Not only does it give you talking points for whatever, you know, networking you can do but it also develops the skills that will make you an even more uh strong candidate um i just wanted to really hit uh on what sam said there and i and i think that's an important thing if i and we've touched upon in the past but like it's important like you're doing what you're doing for your job you have to be really good at it and some not everyone here is lawyers i know some of you are not um but you have to be good at the, at the thing that you your credit craft right but then right like it's not just doing a good job like there's plenty of people that are really qualified, but they don't have the networking piece and they're working and they're doing a great job, but they're siloed off in their back office. And like their current employer knows how great they are, but they're not doing that aspect of networking. Um, Stephanie and I did a version of this and I'll hand it over to you, Steph, with this, but like, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of you guys put in the chats, put in your, your resume and your credentials. I mean, the other part of this world of sports, which is really competitive, is networking in really creative ways. Sometimes it's writing, sometimes it's like doing uh, panels like this, but, but really stepping outside. There are a lot of people that want to work in sports, but there are that much fewer people that like, there's 135 of you that go to these panels, right? Then if you email Sam or, or Zade after this, you could say, hey, I saw you at the uh, the teamwork conduct panel. It's fantastic. I imagine that'll move you to the top, uh, relatively top of their inboxes, but it's finding those things that separate you in unique ways. That's how Stephanie and I know each other. Stephanie's now um, MLB Network, uh, a council over at MLB Network. Like I met Stephanie as a law student three, four years ago, right when I met Zaid and Stephanie has used these various sports law networks to get to where she's going. So um, with that step, I'll hand it over to you. You're a little bit closer to this kind of interview realm, um, but I'll, I'll let you take the next one. Yeah, and I think Zaid, you kind of gave us a great segue here into what my next question was going to be. When you get that first interview for the job, both of you, when you got the Rockets interview, when you got the Warriors interview and kind of 
throughout your networking as well. But when when you go into those interviews, what are some of those skills that you're really trying to make sure whoever you're speaking to, whoever you're interviewing with sees? Because of course we know, you know, you only have really one shot. And so if you get that interview, you want to make the most of it. And so what skills have you learned or did you try to refine while you were working at law firms? And then how did you portray those skills in a way that, you know, made your current employers say, you know what, we have to hire them. There's no question about it. They're the people for the job. And and do you notice any similarities as well in your colleagues as well? Because I think a lot of times you'll notice that like-minded people are kind of all working in the same group or same department because there's some sort of camaraderie there. So what are some skills that you all have worked towards and that you really tried to show in interviews and how did you do it? Yeah, I think um, interviewing is obviously super important once you finally get that chance, that foot in the door and you get that shot to talk to somebody. Um, there's obviously different concepts like at, at the team. Sometimes you'll start in HR, for example, with like a quick 15 minute interview. Sometimes you'll start immediately with maybe the hiring person. So it does differ. And, and I think one thing that's universal is to really focus on who you're talking to, learn everything there is to know about the person you're about to speak to, um, their history, their background, what drives them to the extent you can learn those things um, you know, online, which is kind of a scary thing about the internet these days, you pretty much learn everything. Um, so um, to the extent you can do that, do that research, um, because they're going to appreciate the fact you did that too, when you can bring up things, um, you can ask them about their career. And people really enjoy the fact that number one, you're asking about them. And number two, that you were thoughtful enough to do that work. And then number three, that you obviously are driven enough to have done those things as well. Um, so that'll tell you those things about the person. Uh, so in, in, in the Rockets case, you know, when you when you looked at what they had, they had a legal department, um, that was a former general counsel who had become the general manager. Rafael Stone is now solely basketball. Um, we had Clay, who was AGC, and then S got escalated to GC and was just underwater, you know, was by himself doing teamwork on both the business and basketball sides and Toyota Center work, too, because we operate our arena. Um, so he was looking for, and this is something I identify with, someone that could come in and immediately take work off of his plate. That was really like A, B, and C at the top of his board was like, I need someone to come in. I don't have to train this person. Obviously, I have to familiarize this person with um, with rockets, you know, our, our specific policies and procedures and things that are unique to our business. But otherwise, that was what he was looking for. So that was my kind of guiding light in interviewing with Clay specifically. But that's going to apply across any interview is like, what does this person need? And then you want to present yourself as satisfying exactly all of those things. You want to you want to know what they need even better than they know um, in terms of the interview. And then, you know, learn everything there's to know about the business, the team in our cases. Um, you know, what types of businesses they support, um, the ownership, uh, on down to the executives and those sorts of things. Um, I think those are just general interview qualities. But it really, like in law school, honestly, I remember there was so much of a focus on interviewing. Um, there was all these classes on how to do it because we were doing all these on-campus interviews. Law firms would come. My law firm, Baker Donaldson, came to campus and, and interviewed people. And so there was a real focus on interview skills. So I think law school does a pretty good job of that, too, on, on the types of general things that apply. Yeah, for me, um, I would echo what Sam said about prep. Uh, I would prep for every interview. Uh, as someone who played sports growing up, I'd prep for it as if it was like the championship game. Like, if I'm lucky enough to get an interview with somebody, I want to make sure I go in and perform. Um, so I would have a, a sheet that I put together for every interview. And on that sheet would be the diligence that I did on the person I'm speaking with. Um, like Sam said, you can find a lot of stuff online um, about people. I'd also ask around. 
if I saw on LinkedIn that this person who I'm interviewing with had mutual connections, I'd try and find out more about them, uh, things that they've published, things that they've written, as much as I can about the interviewer, as well as the company, um, as well as what's going on in the news with that company, and identifying specific areas of opportunity based on um, on what I've, what I found, either with that person specifically or with the company more broadly. And then, as Sam said, being able to speak about yourself um, and do it doing that in an effective way. Um, so looking at your experiences and how you can line those up with the specific areas of opportunity that uh, you've identified during your diligence is a really valuable skill set. Um, so the other part of my prep sheet would be kind of just like a breakdown of my, own. I have a terrible memory, so I need to write things down. So it'd be a breakdown of specific projects I've worked on, specific um, tasks I've done that I want to speak about, and I want to use those as a way to um, fit in this area of opportunity that that I could identify. So, you know, if I was Sam back when he was sling, uh, sling and I'm interviewing for an MBA position, I know media rights is like the thing that is coming down the pipeline and you're seeing it uh, across the news. I would be ready to speak about how my experience in working for Sling has prepared me with this education and background on media rights. And I'm ready. I know it's going to be big for the Rockets. I want to come in and help right away. Um, so I would do that for, for every interview and then being intentional about my follow-ups after the interview. Um, I like to send a thank you note the same day um, with a very specific reference to whatever we had talked about. You know, I usually ask for some sort of piece of advice at the end, and I would make sure I use that advice in my note sheet as a touch point and, and following up with that person. Like, hey, you, you told me I should take, you know, so-and-so class. I took that class found it really helpful. Thanks again for that feedback. And you're just continuing that, as Sam said, and I wrote it down, um, the respectful uh, networking, which is which is important. And um, it starts with the interview. And I think being prepared for it is, is critically important. Yeah, the thank you note piece is huge. Thanks for mentioning that. I think my cadence is like 24 hours after email. And then I would often try to drop in a stationary handwritten note that would show up for whenever the U.S. mail got around to it, you know, weeks later. But that actually helped me because it was like, hey, wait, Sam, I remember him. Like, look at that. They actually actually wrote a note. That's uncommon. Wait, you would send a, hand, a regular mail as a follow up to an interview? I would. Yeah. Um, and, Always. You know, depending on the like, obviously, you know, it, it worked for the Rockets. I mean, I can't I can't speak 100. I don't have like 100 percent batting average for sure. But but if anything, it endures yourself. You know, you you do. Um, you do stand out and then they'll remember, hey, like, it, you know, maybe we didn't go with Sam or Zaid in this particular position, but um, obviously going forward, like maybe that's someone we would be willing to recommend to our colleagues because this Sam, is Sam never sent me a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note. You, you he sent me an email thank you note. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so, that's it. I got you. No. So, I mean, first of all, you guys have been fantastic. We, Stephanie and I kind of go over the questions we're going to ask and I'm like, I don't know, interview tactics. You guys, unbeknownst to us before you guys are like professional interviewers which is like fantastic so um I, I can say with some degree of confidence of the you know of the people that are in attendance at some point in your career you will interview for a job that you really want and as sam mentioned like you can't hit 100 percent in interviews it's just not possible right like the best baseball players hit like they hit 300 um but you know interviews maybe it's a little bit higher than that maybe it's a little bit lower but generally the people that are hired and i know i've told a version of this story in the past like when you were in a position to hire, right, the person that hired Sam, the person that hired Zay, 
they have to get that hire right, right? If they hire the wrong person and that person messes some account up or is a no-show, like it's not going to look good for them. So they have to make sure that that hire is correct. So within that, right, Sam and Zayd have explained like what they do. And, and, you know, obviously in some sense, you guys knew your interviewers, but like what you did in advance of that interview. So you knock that interview out of the park and then you knock the follow-up out of the park, which is really impressive. But, you know, you guys are also battling against people and this is, you know, how Stephanie and I knew each other. I knew Stephanie for really two years before, um, you know, I, I, I ended up giving or uh, having Stephanie interview for a position at my firm. But I reached out to Stephanie. I said, "There's, we're hiring. I think you'd be a really good fit for this. And I knew Stephanie. So I tried to put in a good word for Stephanie because I knew her in advance from doing not just, you know, being a good person. But uh, I saw someone in the comments wrote this. Stephanie had been writing on her own sports law blog. So in addition to having a really good resume and Stephanie worked for, you know, major league baseball team, she worked uh, for the PGA tour, I think for the, for the masters at Augusta national, like Stephanie was putting out writing samples on the internet. Like, I don't know, at some level of frequency. So I also knew that Stephanie understood the business in a, in a really important way. So like in that sense, I guess twofold, you're competing against professional interviewers who are doing homework on everyone and everything that they could possibly do. So you can't just walk in cold and think it's going to go right. And then number two, you're also competing against people that the interviewer might know personally, right? So you can sit there on the sidelines and be, woe is me. I have no shot to get these jobs. These people are great interviewers. The fix is in. It's not who you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Or right on day one, be it October 12th of 2023, you can start building those long-term bridges to start that network, right? You can start today. We have this stupid slogan at Conduct, which I think is kind of fun, but somewhat stupid, but start today building your networking empire. Like what? why not? If you really want the job today, like maybe you're not qualified, but two years from now, three years from now, certainly you're there. So when Sam you know, left Tennessee in 2015 and, and Zade left Arizona State in 2019, like they weren't qualified for those jobs, but like within three, four years, like here we are. So um, I think that's important. Steph, I'll, I'll kind of give it to you with this. Um, I know someone mentioned we're having an NIL writing competition through Conduct Detrimental, but what's some other ways, um, Steph, that uh, that we haven't talked about today that people that you've seen in your profession have kind of set themselves apart? And then uh, Sam and Zade, if you have interesting insights, we can you know ask you the same thing. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, and I mean, I don't really hire anyone, but I was part of like our intern hiring process. So I know a lot of you guys are college or law students, and so this could be helpful. But one of the main things that I pay attention to the most is that the person that I'm speaking with is not overly excited about working for a sports organization. They're not a fan. Just because you may be the biggest fan of the Warriors or the Rockets, don't let that take over your entire interview. Don't have that be your vocal point. You can let the interviewee know or interviewer know that you are a big basketball fan, that you know the business of basketball, but they really aren't concerned with the fact that you're a big fan because oftentimes, you know, at least I've heard a few stories that, you know, when you get an intern who is too big of a fan, they often take advantage of that. And that's not what the company is looking for. You should always have a mind that you want to do what's best for the business. And it's just great that we work in sports, but we still have to do our jobs. It's not a free for all. And so when I was always speaking to, you know, intern applications, you want to make sure that you're really showing that you're actually willing to put in the work on top of just wanting to work for a sports organization. Um, I think that a good way of doing that is 
making sure that you're talking about all the activities that you're doing in college or in law school. If you're the president of the Sports Law Society, you can say that, but what have you done? What tangible results have you gotten from being on the Sports Law Society? Did you start a competition? Did you, you know, get X keynote speaker for the symposium because you were really good at networking and cultivating relationships? So those are just a few tidbits that I've come across. Um, but I do think that at the end of the day, you you want to work in sports, but it's a job. And so some people lose sight of that. And it's really important to make sure that you show that you really are willing to work and kind of do anything for the business because that's who you want to work for and not just be involved in sports. But yeah, say, I, Sam, if you guys, I know you guys, I'm sure, had some extra tips. No, I, I uh, so I, I used the wrong emoji. I tried to do an emoji to, to say 100, the 100 emoji to emphasize what you were saying. And it ended up being the side eye emoji. That was not the, <laughs> I meant to say 100. Maybe, maybe it's the side eye on the people that do that. <laughs> No, maybe I should have gone with that actually. Um, but I would I would just underscore the not being a fan thing. Like if your answer to why you want to work in sports is I love sports, uh, if that is the entirety of your answer, thank you, Sam, for doing the right emoji. If uh if it's just I love this team, um, or I love this sport, that is almost a red flag. I would I would say it is a red flag. Um being able to speak to the specific things about the industry, the team, the sport, the opportunity, and to Steph's point, like tying them back to your experiences is, is critical. And I would 100% agree with that. So apologies again about the side eye emoji, not, not the right emoji use. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, honestly, this is just a, a classic retweet. I don't really have much to add. Um, I think, you know, being, being, uh, Passionate about it is very important. One of the things I always would talk about with basketball is like, I really believe in, in professional basketball. I believe in the sport. I believe in the league. And I really believe in what we do, um, the, you know, entertaining people, entertaining fans on both the concert front and the basketball front to, 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 to apply my legal practice and have all the work I'm doing on a daily basis, then be able to walk downstairs, literally my office is in the arena um, and go to a game or go to a concert is a tangible expression of the legal work I had done. Whereas Zaid remembers the law firm, like, you're kind of a mercenary. You're coming in and out of deals. You're doing transactions for clients for a specific period of time. And then I would always say you drain the bathtub and then refill it with another client's issues. Um, and then you, but you have to be able to do that. Um, whereas here you can really become entrenched and you can see your work product through to completion, which is a really, really cool part about sports um, entertainment. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in here. I think an, an important question, and you guys can take this in any number of ways. You know, I, I have some sense of what I think the right. So we have a lot of lawyers on here. I see the ESQs in the crowd. Um, you know, when, when it comes to a lateral hire, both of you did it, right? And we haven't spoke about the fields of law that you were in. Zaid, I think you mentioned very briefly, you did, I think, some form of commercial real estate. Um, but I think that's an important question. Like if you're on the outside looking in, you're a first year lawyer, second year lawyer, and you're trying to find the right practice area to get into an in-house team, like what are the best areas? Zaid and Sam, you could take that in whatever direction. Yeah. Um, so for me, recognizing that uh, the types of roles I wanted to do long term tended to be sort of a corporate generalist role. I tried to get as much broad transactional experience as I could. So I did a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, which tangentially touched on some real estate, uh, private equity, emerging company deals, um, just working on as many documents as I can. But uh, 
taking it a step further, when you're a junior attorney at a law firm, typically the tasks you have are very uh, organizational in nature, very, uh, it's like, go capitalize the right words or go make sure the formatting, like it's two spaces or one space, make sure it's consistent, which at its surface, very easy thing to do. Like uh, we could get AI probably to do it, but it's taking it a step further and having intellectual curiosity, which I think is one of probably top three most valuable skills and understanding the re not only the reason behind what you're doing, like why does this have to be capitalized and not that, but also understanding the meaning of what you are working on whether it's a lease, a purchase agreement, any of the ancillary documents, having a curiosity to learn more about those things is what helps set you up to be successful in your uh, trajectory internally. You might be the only you know, first-year associate who knows what the different components of the reps and warranties are in a purchase agreement and why it ties into the disclosure schedules. Uh, and you might just get that by asking the right questions. Um, so I think that's for me, uh, my, my two cents on um, what experience to get when you're looking to lateral down the road. Yeah, broadly transactional work is really important. Uh, one of the things that that I didn't realize was that the, the 30 MBA teams are effectively 30 small businesses. They just happen to operate in like a wildly public industry um, and, and that is that is super popularized and very, very visible and, and, and um, very popular. So but inevitably, we still have, we at the Rockets have like 200 employees, right? We're, I mean, we, we, I always tell people jokingly, I mean, we might as well be like mom and pop's auto shop. We just happen to put on professional basketball games. So there's a small legal department and you deal with everything that comes in your door. The Warriors have a little bit of a larger legal department and they're generally a little more specialized than we are in our case. But still, I mean, um, with the Warriors, it's you're a generalist. With the Rockets, you're a generalist. You are doing whatever pops in. So it could be an um, employment law issue. It could be an intellectual property issue. It could be someone slipped and fell in the concourse on a, uh, a French fry, which, which happened. Um, you know, we'll see what, where that nets out for us, but anyway, like you never know. And so you really do have to become somewhat of a generalist. Did I hear that correctly? A slip and fall on a French fry? Or was that like a euphemism? Uh, no, 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 no. It was, it was it, I wish it was a euphemism. Unfortunately, it's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, and, and, and happens I, fairly frequently. Yeah, uh, I had a conversation with one of our oh, French fries happen frequently. Okay, no, on, on it it's my nerve, <laughs> but slip and fall generally. French fries, okay, potato chips, you name okay. it. Yeah, and I had a conversation with our arena staff on how long the fry had been there. So that was a literal question I asked, and I was like, "Wow, I'm glad I went to law school." You know, I asked like, "How long had that French fry been on the ground?" And that was my role in that. Um, so you know, you never know, but uh, but. Intellectual property, I think, being like a real master of contracts in every context. And at a law firm, mergers and acquisitions, real estate, those are the sorts of associate positions that are going to get you a lot of exposure. I started, I was a baker for five years. I started as a litigator because I was told that that's what you should do if you're an extrovert and that you'll be in the courtroom all the time. But then I was not. Um, plot twist, I was actually just reviewing documents, drafting motions and not doing um, much in the public eye. So then I was like, well, I'd rather be a transactional attorney and build things and, and grow things with my clients. So in my law firm, we were lucky enough to do a lot of work for basically we were outside counsel, but effectively in-house. So we would do kind of all the day-to-day -day for one client actually in the um, cheerleading industry that I got a lot of experience for. Then I did some uh, data privacy work towards the end. But I tried to be as generalist as you can be at a law firm. That is difficult because they really want you to focus. Um, so I work with all the partners and really try never to say no to anything, um, which can be crazy um, in terms of your day-to-day -day, and you might not be a happy individual, but you will get good experience and, and you will be able to grow as an attorney.
Okay, so this one, we, we didn't say it, but I think it's important. I think we've kind of beat, beat around the bush a little bit. Um, the, the All of these different tactics in terms of like, A, finding this stuff out and having a version of this conversation that's a part of your everyday life and not just like the one hour here or the one hour of listening to our podcast or whatever other panels you guys go to. Um, Sam mentioned it. I don't know if Zaid has it too. Um, Zaid can confirm or deny, but Sam was at one point the president of his sports law society. I was the president of my sports society at Fordham, and I know Steph was VP at hers. Zaid, are you part of the club or did you not? I don't remember what the title was. I think I was some, some role. Uh, I don't it's on my resume. Vice president, maybe. I don't remember. That's, I was hoping, listen, we don't plan these things. I was hoping you'd be on board. I had a feeling. Yeah. So the, the reason for bringing up, so I, I teach sports law uh, at New York Law School. I have uh, 40 students in my class and, you know, it depends on the year, but there are a lot of people and I see some of them in the audience, shout out to New York Law School. Um, but I, there's a lot of people every year that come to me and they're like, how do I get a job in sports? And I'm like, well, you're a member of the sports law society or like whatever the entertainment law side, whatever the thing that they want to be in. Like, no, I'm too busy. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. Like, that's not doing yourself a service. So like, again, we talked about being a really good networker, like this war of attrition, all this stuff in terms of networking and to keep doing it and then be good at your job. And if you're only doing half of it, like that's not going to suffice. So then, then there, I'm sure the lawyers in the crowd that are like, well, I'm not in law school anymore. It's too late. I didn't join the sports law society. You still have a lot of resources at your disposal. Like I know by me, there's the New York state bar. You could join the, you know, American bar associations, uh, sports law committee, sports lawyers association, like, I don't know, like Stephanie was out. Uh, Stephanie, where was it? Was it was it Los Angeles this past year? Yeah, it was in L.A. this year. I know the ABA had their sports law division uh, conference in Vegas. Like a, a lot of our listeners of our show and people that go to these panels met each other there. Like all the things we're talking about, like you can kind of figure like different levels of success. Like if you do all of them, you can give yourself the best chance. Um, Stephanie, I thought you were going to say this before you did not. But this is like one of my favorite favorite expressions again very nerdy but also you know a little little important the harder you work at all this little background stuff the stuff that nobody sees the luckier you will get so evidently when you do get that interview whether it be like a cold email or you apply shout out on uh, teamwork online you apply there and you get that interview if you've done all this stuff for like the six months or the year or the three months or the five years leading up to that interview you're going to give yourself a better chance of success and then you pull the same strands and you send a handwritten note afterwards um, or you could pull like a, a Dave Portnoy. I know people have sent him their resumes on a pizza box. Like you can get pretty creative very quickly. You'll get to the top of the line. Um, Steph, uh, I don't know if there's a question here, but, um, I know we've been getting a lot of questions from the audience. Anything that we have not touched upon that you think is important enough to bring up here? Yeah. I want to just make one more point that I think Sam and Zade kind of both alluded to in that, you know, when you first get that sports job and you're working in sports well then how are you going to you know move up the ladder how are you going to get promoted like Zay just did and I think something that's important to almost accept and remember and it's it's helped me especially in in my new job um is you kind of have to accept that you you're starting out this is your first job in sports you may have just graduated law school there are probably 90% more people that you're working with who have a lot more experience than you. But the one thing that you can do to help yourself stand out, if you, you know, you might not know how to draft a SAS agreement or something like that. But what you can do is go online, conduct your own research for an hour or so, really get a full understanding of, you know, 
what that world is like. Okay, what do you need in a software agreement? What is super important for the customer? What is the other side going to be looking for? And you can almost use that research that other people who are more experienced with probably haven't taken the time to do, but you should use that to your advantage and just really immerse yourself in pretty much anything and everything because I think your bosses and the people above you will take note if you're showing, all right, I'm going above and beyond. I recognize you know how to do this and I don't yet, but let me learn and let me show you that I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to get to the same level that you are and always ask questions also I think is super important. Um, if you don't know how to do something, it, it can't hurt to say, hey, can we just sit down for five minutes and go over this? Because that's really a helpful way for you to learn what you're gonna be working on. And I guarantee some other things will come up again. And so if you can get a full understanding from the outset, it'll only help you in the long run. But I, before we move to questions, I love this question because I think everyone always has a good answer to it, but Sam and Zaid, what is your greatest piece of advice to the people who are listening? If you could pick just one thing. Uh, for me, it's, it's an easy one. Um, it's to take pride in the little things, especially early in your career. Um, whatever it is that you are tasked with, whatever your project is, whether it's checking for the number of spaces or drafting an agreement, like really, really take ownership of that and um, showing ways to add value by taking pride in, in your work, in your in what you bring to the table. And even if, as Steph was saying, even if you don't have the substantive knowledge yet, by taking pride in uh, putting everything you have into things that are within your control, being organized, being communicative, being responsive, um, that goes such a long way in your in your development professionally. And I would just emphasize, uh, really be, um, really take a lot of pride in, in the little things. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I always think like it, it's it's so important to, I think you can accomplish anything. This is always going to sound like a cat poster, but I always feel like you can accomplish anything if you actually put in the work. So you can get to the top of the stairs if you take one step at a time. Um, and, and really, we've been talking about this whole conversation, the types of little steps you can take the work to put in to get to whatever your ultimate goal is. But I, I firmly believe it can always sound, you know, as long as your goal is reasonable, um, whatever that means, that's a legal term of art we use all the time. Um, you know, I think you can really accomplish it. Okay, um, I put a message in the chat. Uh, we'll we'll kind of wrap up at three. I think, um, I think important, right? Uh, you guys have all been here for an hour. I said at the top, I know a lot of you joined late and I Appreciate those who are joining off the wait list. Um, we definitely had a lot of signups. For some reason, we have like all these signups and then only like 200 people show up. Guys, uh, this is all, we can expand the cap to a thousand. We can do as much as we want. But I think this advice is really um, invaluable. So again, we'll do this each and every month. Um, I, I, I did give this warning at the top. If you are here, you should be friending uh, or inviting to connect with people on LinkedIn. Uh, anyone that you that's name you've seen here, you know, the panelists, um, there's really no excuse for doing this. If you've gained anything or any tidbits from this conversation, um, there was really no downside to, to trying to connect offline. And I know, um, you know, we talked about writing and doing kind of posts to set yourself apart. Remember, like I've said this before, but one of the more painful things to write are those like cold follow-up emails, like six months after you have a good meeting, like, hey, just following up. Do you have any jobs or anything like that? Like the other way to do that is the kind of non-invasive way of posting news articles or 
giving your commentary on something. Um, you could do that on LinkedIn. It's a very passive way that for the person to still know that you exist. Um, Sam and Zaid, I, I guess um, I want to kind of end with this. Uh, I think it's an important, important question. It certainly comes up a lot. So you guys both seemingly got to where you are through some form of, of a cold email. That's that's I know Sam, you did. Zaid, I think uh, I think you were well, you, you can express it yourself, and I'm sure you've done it in the past. Um, what is something you look for when someone reaches out to you cold? They've never met you, they don't know anything about you. What is that one thing that you look for? I know you talked about what you guys do in terms of prepping for interviews, but when you're on the other end, like I'll start with you, Sam, what are you looking for? What's that one thing that brings people right to the top of your list? And you go, you know what? I need to speak with this person. Yeah, I think um, number one is a little bit cynical and it, it can be the timing. You know, just it just sometimes it just depends on how your day is going when that thing comes in um, or how your week's going or what you've got going on. Um, so that's that's a piece of it. But I mean, I, I really do try to at some point, maybe it's months later, respond to every email or LinkedIn message I get and try to connect with everybody because people like Zay did it for me. You know, so it's important to me to pay it forward. And then when everyone on this call accomplishes their their dream job, I would, you know, actually ask all of you to do the same. It's a very, really amazing industry to pay it forward. And it's very helpful to people coming up. Um, but I always look for a, a, a nice, short, you know, emphasis on S-H-O-R-T, um, concise email that introduces you, who you are, maybe where you go to school, what you're, what you're up to, uh, and something like, hey, I'm just, you know, something like, I'm interested in doing what you do or hearing more about what you do in your role at the Rockets. It's always nice to literally reference the title of your position so that way it shows they've at least, you know, looked up what you do. You know, if there's someone from Memphis, for example, or went to Tennessee, there's always like a, um, you know, an alma mater connection there or try to try to reference, as, as Zaid said, some personal element, but also not appear kind of weird and creepy. Um, so that's that's always the the tight rep you walk. Um, but I think those are the highlights of a, a cold email um, and be respectful of their time. Hey, um, is it, you know, can we, can we connect at any point in the next couple months? I always say, you know, look at that next couple months. Cause you don't know how the next couple of weeks look and, um, you know, really be like intentional about setting up the, the, the call, if it needs to happen on your end or really being intentional about providing days and times that work for you, um, and, and being open to moving stuff around for the, for the professional who's generally going to be busier than in law school, for example, but, or at least, you know, more eight to five anyway. Yeah. And then for me, I know at times just thoughtful, short, um, and, and direct slash clear. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say was just Dan, Steph, thank you guys so much for, for what you're doing uh, in the community and Davis, of course. Um, if For those on here, obviously you're following Dan and Steph, uh, but you know, keep keep it up. We appreciate it. The professionals in the industry, the law students appreciate it. It's a fantastic thing you guys are doing. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. And one thing I just wanted to add to, just because you mentioned it, Sam, about being intentional with your time, if someone accepts your you know, offer to hop on a call with them, definitely make sure you're prepared for that networking call too. The, the worst thing is when you get on a call with someone and they basically turn it over to you and they say, I don't really know if you wanna just share something with me. It's really important to have you know, questions that are intentional and, and be super intentional about your time with them. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you're the one that is gonna be taking this advice. So you might as well come up with questions that you're actually curious about and interested in. And it also kind of helps the speaker or whoever you're speaking with really be able to give you proper advice and not have to, you know, feel like they're pulling teeth when they're giving you their, their time. So, but yeah, thank you both Sam and Zaid. This was great. And I'm sure everyone on the call really learned a lot. I know that 
I did and be on the lookout for a LinkedIn message from me because I will be following up with you guys too, just as everyone else on this call should. Look forward to it. Thanks everybody. This is amazing. Thanks for all the work you do. And we, we really appreciate it in the industry. So that'll wrap us. Uh, Sam, Zaid, excellent job. Uh, in closing, I think we can all agree on this sentiment. Working in sports and sports law, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So these are just your tools to get there, but the roadmap is long. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and super all of a sudden be qualified. Like all of us here and, and anyone that you've seen has got to that level. They didn't just get handed the job. There's a lot of work that got to that point. So um, this is just a little bit of a motivating kick if you needed it. Um, and yeah, we'll certainly do this each and every month. Uh, and certainly again, feel free to reach out to us on social and uh, follow us uh, Conduct Detrimental. We're on on socials, but the podcast Conduct Detrimental you can find wherever podcasts are heard. And if you're looking for jobs, Teamwork Online is probably the best place to do it. I have it bookmarked since I was in law school. So shout out to Teamwork, shout out to Davis and everyone at Teamwork. Um, that'll do us here. We're going to put the full audio again on our podcast in an episode in the next couple weeks, maybe a week or so. And then the video Teamwork will have. So stay tuned uh, for Teamwork for the full video feed. Um, thanks everyone for showing up and uh, that'll do it for us. And um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your weeks. Thank you guys so much. So that was Sam Strantz, Zaid Shakir, and our own Stephanie Weisenberger. Um, you know, it's funny. Stephanie used to appear on this podcast a lot, but now she has a fancy MLB Network job. She's got to be careful with what she says. So as we find ways to get Stephanie involved uh, in any way we can. But shout out to Stephanie, and she's very much still a part of everything we do conduct. But, you know, she's got to pick her spots, which I totally get. We do. Mike, you and I do all of this. I did the. I do all of this to end up with a sports practice at, at a law firm, my own sports practice, my own clients. Mike, you do this. You had a sports job prior to this, which I don't know if we've revealed in the show, um, but we're hoping to get you in the uh, get you in the best place to get there. As we said on the panel, right? The harder you work, the luckier you get, and it's been the case with every panelist we have thus far. So, um, Mike, you know, I teach at two different schools, I'm doing the podcasts, I'm doing the shows, I'm coaching, I'm trying to meet as many people as I can, and you know, uh, but your networking empire is not going to grow if you sit in the back office somewhere and you bill 180 hours a month. Yeah, that's important. But, you know, if you build 160 and uh, you found 20 hours of non-billable networking, that's probably more healthy for uh, a couple of reasons. So that's uh, my sports law lost advice for the day. Um, okay, Mike, we've done this three weeks in a row. Um, well, three weeks I've done in a row. Uh, I've got them right. We get you and I have been on the last two weeks. We're, may, we're having a good trend at this point. Um, I asked you to pick a bet anywhere in the NFL slate to reverse your trend. Who do you got? And give us a little bit why, Mike. What's the legal research you put in here? How many hours did you build to Westlaw? I want to know where the research was. <laughs> um, I have disrespected, and I want to apologize to the Lions fans out there. I've disrespected them on this podcast um, in real life when I talk to people. Um, and this is the week that I try to make that right. Um, I They're plus three against the Ravens. Um, I just, the way that they're flying around right now, their defense is really unbelievable. And if they can contain Lamar Jackson, which a decent amount of teams have been able to do so far, the Ravens do not look impressive this year, in my opinion. Um, I mean, they were struggling. I know it was away, but still just the, the lowly Titans at this point. Uh, that was one of the worst football games I've watched in a little while. So um, I just I'm not confident about the Ravens long term. And I love the odds and the spread right now for the Lions. Um, 
plus three. I mean, I think they should be favored after. I mean, they're five and one. I mean, they're on fire right now. I like that you finally learned that when you take an underdog, you do not have to pick them outright. You just take them with the points. Yep. Lions plus three is the pick. You like it? Yeah, we're learning as we go. You know, um, didn't say I'm a you know I'm a professional. Just full gambler. disclosure. You just have to tell people. You get in trouble in, in real life if you have the unlicensed practice of law and you don't tell people you're a lawyer and you act like one. You got to tell people, Mike. Heads up. I am not a professional gambler. I don't know what I'm doing. And you know what that lets people do, Mike? Let's people make an informed decision to go with you or to fade you and say, this guy, Mike, is 0-2. I'm just going to pick the opposite of whatever he says, and I'll make some money. You just got to give him the option. Yeah, of course. But I'm excited to see throughout the long term. You know, it's all about, you know, if you're batting 300 in the MLB, you're you're doing great. So if I can bat 300 here. Mm, that That <laughs> logic doesn't quite apply to betting. But I like what you're doing here. Um, that's pretty funny. <laughs> okay. So, um, Mike, you were you were witness to this. It was one of the first episodes we did together, I think. I think it was the Mike Lombardi episode. Was that your and I first episode together? Oh, yeah. That was awesome. I think it was. I think it was. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. So, uh, on, on that show, I believe it was that show, I gave a future pick for the year. Uh, I said my pick. You can write it down. You can timestamp it. We'll cut a fancy clip. I said L.A. Rams over six and a half was my future bet of the year. Um, and I explained it. Uh, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald. You know, this team is not that far away removed from a Super Bowl. Last year, they're over under win total. The total for the year started was ten and a half. And I'm like, not much has changed to drop them to four wins. So I just, it's kind of a system play. But anyway, we're back. Uh, last week, the Rams were playing the Cardinals. Cardinals are one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, probably right there, bottom three. The spread with the LA Rams at home against the Cardinals was six and a half. What did the Rams do? They went out and annihilated the Cardinals 26 to nine. It wasn't as close as the scoreboard indicates. So I'm like, okay, finally people respecting the Rams. They're three and three. They'll probably go, you know, they'll probably get nine wins. I'll clear my over under pretty easily. And um, Cooper Cup's back. Puka Nakua pops up out of nowhere. This team looks semi-legitimate, semi maybe a playoff team. And I see the spread this week, okay? Pittsburgh Steelers come to town to play the Rams. Uh, the Rams are only a three-point favorite in their own building. Two weeks ago, the Steelers on the road got blown out 30-6. to six. Okay, the Ravens, which you just talked about, you just picked against. Uh, the Steelers looked absolutely horrendous in that game. Somehow they... Eked out a, a BS victory against the, the Ravens, 17-10. to 10. Well, it wasn't because the Steelers played well. It's because the Ravens just choked it up. So uh, something deceiving. I think they're getting some extra points from that Ravens win, which Steelers did not look impressive by any means. Um, I think the Rams roll here at home. The Rams have been really solid at home. I'm going to go with the Rams. It's a very small number. Minus three. I think the Rams take this one fairly easily. And remind you, just in case anyone's doubting me, 3-0 in the last three weeks. Mike, can you attest to this as my witness? Oh, 100%. And I love... 100, that is correct. Yeah. I've been picking at an 100% clip. Correct. Yeah, and I love the the Rams over six and a half wins. You know, I took it. Um, I With Cooper Cutback, that offense looks back to form in a different way. Um, you know, they don't have Robert Woods anymore, but they have Puka Nakua. Uh, Tyler Atwell's been doing well. They paid Tyler Higby. Come on now. That, that Rams team looks like a uh, wild card team. Um, so, um, 
that'll do it. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with the picks. Um, this segment and really anything we do betting related is always, till further notice, sponsored by our friends over at Better Edge, the social betting platform. Use our promo code CONDUCT for 20, get $20 for free on sign up. $20. Worst case scenario, you get you $20 free on sign up and you lose $20 that we just got you. Try it out. It's our friends. The best way to support the podcast. Um, Better Edge. B-E-T-T-O-R. Edge. Um, okay, that'll do it. Um, we want to big, give a big thanks to our friends over at Themis. Those are the sponsor of our of our uh, sports load newsletter, which uh, Holly Thomas has been running. Holly's a, one of the team members over at the NIL Hour. We have, I think we just eclipsed the 2,000 subscriber mark for the newsletter. So if you found us through the newsletter, shout out to you. Or as uh, Pat McAfee says, shout out, shout out, <laughs> shout out, um, sh- shout out to Pat McAfee, uh, who who I think listened to our Pat McAfee episode because uh, your boy got some DMs with Pat. Uh, this is this is ver- verifiable, um, but it's all good. So um, yeah, Mike, that'll do it. Appreciate it. Keep up all the good work. Um, I'm gonna put my pesky four year old to bed. It is way past her bedtime, and Airbud. And is not putting her to sleep, so we uh, we gotta do some work there. Um, <laughs> I, I salute you and good uh, luck. All good. Uh, it is what it is. Um, all good, Mike. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, that'll do it for us here. For Dan Wallach, myself, and all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Yeah.